Welcome to Motherhood on Tap, the podcast for mamas who laugh their way through the struggles of parenting. I'm Sarah Duncan. And I'm Pamela Walker-Dees. And this is the first time that we've been recording in the same room for, in like, three months. I know. I think it was, like, what, end of February? I mean, you were like, yeah, "Yeah, we'll be all right. It's not going to be that bad. Cut to, no one come near me. (laughs) We are in lockdown. Lockdown. I've missed you so much. I've missed you, too. I've missed seeing human faces. I know, because Pamela and I have talked on the phone a bunch. We've texted a bunch. We've done a couple of recordings over Zoom. Zoom, which is just really... It's just not the same. same. Zoom is really not the same, especially when it's like... The Zoom and you're like super animated, going really fast, and all of a higher you go like, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like it was like almost like a badly dubbed Japanese martial arts movie where it's like fantastic. Cool. <laughs> I have the free version of Zoom. <laughs> The fun, glitchy version. The one where when you submit a ticket to support, they're like, you're not a paid customer. You're not a paid customer. We got enough problems. (laughs) Bye-bye. It is a fantastic service, but I'm just too much of a bum and not wanting to pay for it. So I'm paying the price. That's okay. That's okay. Lady, I think we both need a drink. What do we have this week? I, uh, Dear Sarah has expressed her love of sangria. Sutter Uh Home Sangria. This junk is so good. I've already started drinking it. It is fantastic. I told her that we need, even though I chilled it, let's put it over ice because it's very sweet. So it needs to be really cold in order for me to drink it at least. So, but it's delicious. Oh, I can just feel happiness oozing through my veins as I sip it. Yeah. I don't really like a lot of red wine, but I do like a good sangria. Girl. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Tink. Tink. Did I tell you? I think I think Sabrina and Aurora overheard us one on one of the Zoom meetings. So now when they have like they do their little tea parties, I overhear them like, "We have to toast," and I'll hear them they'll go tink, oh, and I'm like, "They're just like us." I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Do it, girls! Oh, that makes me so happy. I miss your girls so much. I know they miss coming over here. I say Pamela just saw the like full-grown human being that is my six-month-old son for the first time in months now that was bizarre he went from newborn baby to like sitting up smiling at me i mean i've seen pictures mm-hmm. but smiling at me and putting his arms out for me to hold him and i'm just like oh sweet baby because he was just barely getting interactive when you saw yeah. him last i think yeah like he would look at me and just kind of and then he would drift off to sleep mm-hmm. you know well meanwhile brianna is like a month away from being a year old. So the last time you saw her, she was just like a, a blob that had learned how to roll places. And now she's yeah. crawling, pulling up. And you know those little walker things that you push? Yeah. She can walk pushing those now. Aww. So she pulls herself up, but she starts pushing herself walking down. She can't walk by herself, but she's almost there. Little baby muffin. I'm like so happy for all their milestones, but also just like... Time is just racing by, and yeah. so much is happening, and we're all just still separated. And again, she has Dada down, uh, Baba, which is any kind of food. It's not mm-hmm. just her bottle. She says Ina for Sabrina, Aww. and Rora for Rora, and nothing, no mama. Not- <laughs> it's like, hey, you, milk truck. <laughs> I'm like, I look at her, and I'm just like, but I'm mama, and she just grins like this little, like, grin of like, of course you are. And I'm like, say it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm mama. And she goes, DD. I'm like, no, not DD, mama. I know. I'm already trying to start the brainwashing with uh, Riley. I'm like, mama. 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 When he's a boy, he probably will say mama first. Yeah. Isn't that how mama's boys are? I hope so, because that would be awesome. Because <laughs> Matt won with Daisy. She definitely said Dada first. <laughs> yeah. All of mine said Dada. I think it's just the D is easier to say. Yeah. Like, you wanted something funny? Yeah. My sister, the lesbian, her son <laughs> has, no, has no dad in his life. Oh, And yes. his first word was, was Dada. Dada. <laughs> I don't really think. That's I, how much easier it is to say. Oh, well, I think it's because 
I mean, Mark said that, like, when she first started saying da-da, like, it, she was saying, like, da-da to everything. Like, she yeah. would point to a toy and be like, da-da-da-da-da. It's just a sound that she right. figured out how to make. Yeah, I'm waiting for the mama. We got a dog. Uh-huh. Tell me his name again. Wrigley, like the gum or the baseball field. Lady, did you have a chance to do any craps from the internet? So, yes and no. Okay. I wanted to just, I'm just going to be honest, when it comes to the craps from the internet, I wanted to move away Good. from COVID, from the social stuff going on right now. I just... I applaud that. It's stuff that we all need to be digging am, into. I'm very aware of it, but let's take a comedic pause. Yes. This show is meant to be an outlet and a little bit of an escape. Yes. So I pulled up this headline that just, it, it got me in a couple of ways. So, of course, our good friends Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Oh, snap. So apparently Kanye transformed Kim Kardashian's bathroom into a, an enchanted forest. Okay. But you want to know what struck me from the title of that? So, I mean, it says Kanye West transforms Kim Kardashian's bathroom into an enchanted forest. Girl has her own damn bathroom. Oh, true. Like, you can be rich or you can be Kanye and Kim rich and have your own bathroom. Not his and her sinks. His and hers bathrooms. That's why I'm going to go home and tell Mark. I'll be like, I don't want you rich. I want you. I get my own bathroom rich. I'm... I can get on board with that. Yeah, like I'm thinking about it, and I'd be okay with that. You know what? I would forfeit my own closet to have my own bathroom. Now you're saying something. And I know that there are so many women that are listening right now that are like, I could padlock the door and take a shower mm-hmm. uninterrupted. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you would, anybody else would like this. Personally, my, my sinuses would hate this, but... <laughs> she, I'm waiting to hear how extra this is. It's so extra. So she posted it on Instagram. And you have, I mean, the picture's on here. It is worth a thousand words. I, 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 I'm just going to read it. So she was quoted on Instagram saying, so I come home and my whole bathroom, again, it's her my bathroom, is decorated like an enchanted forest. And it is so beautiful and so visually pretty. And and is and her bathroom is filled with purple, green, and white plants. I like those colors. Good color she choice. She said that it came with a sweet note from her husband, and that back in 2018 when they were building their house, that Kanye had first hand in designing their contemporary bathroom, including their basin free sink, which stands in the middle of the bathroom. I want to be, I want to be Kanye and Kim Rich where I get my old bathroom that doesn't have a basin in the sink. The custom bathroom includes a light box ceiling, two glass showers, a massive bathtub, and a floor to ceiling window that looks out onto their patio. My eyes are so big right now. And so apparently they bought, they call this their minimalist mansion. (laughs) For $20 million in 2014, that spent an additional $20 million on renovations. Sarah's face, I just looked up from looking at my computer. Are you fucking kidding me? face. Oh my God, your face was just like, I hope they all You were just like, why? Like, again, I guess just at a certain point when you're just, I I almost refer to it as being obscenely rich. Because at that point, it's like... Yeah, you probably could have just built a different house instead of doing the renovations. But, like, when you've got that much money, does I guess it doesn't really matter. I don't. I've never been to that point. I've never I've never had those kinds of questions asked of me in my life. And I don't mean to be. I know a lot of people are a fan of hers, but I know she sort of designed. Cl- like, what the hell did she do besides reality star? She's done a little bit of stuff here and there. She's, you know, published books and things like that. But it's basically just like she is her own brand almost. Okay. okay. Which, I mean, hey, I uh, I might knock her for it. But if I could do the same no, thing, I would totally I, do I, it. I would, like, I, 
But anyway, their home actually was a part of Architectural Digest, though. I bet. I bet it's gorgeous. So, anyway, there's just flowers. You can um, press play on her Instagram, and she's, like, showing it all off. Mm -hmm. So, feel free to look that up later. And then, for all of my fellow grunge girls out there, Beavis and Butthead are coming back. Oh, good God. <laughs> you hate Beavis and Butthead? I love I, Joe. I was just a little bit too young yeah. to be the right age when it came out. So the few clips I saw, I just thought were annoying and stupid and like fart humor. So I'm I'm not the target demographic. I know, so but I my my opinion is not as important on this one. I so when we had okay, so remember when the toilet paper shortage started? Mm-hmm. Mark he told me I needed to go out to like the grocery stores and do my my best Beavis impersonation because mm-hmm. I can do the I am cornholio give me TP <laughs> for my bunghole. And I I remember, like, when we were dating, I, I was like, I love Beavis and Butthead. I can do a great Beavis. And he's like, do it. And I'm like, okay. I am the great corn My TV for my bunghole. <laughs> and I said, honey, if I went out and did that, especially with the girls with me, the one they would be taken away and I would be arrested or something. But there's also spinoffs in the works, so just heads up if you liked Daria, which I also love Daria because it was sarcastic and bitter, mm-hmm. which I myself was very sarcastic and bitter. No, that's brand new information. <laughs> but it's actually going to be starring Tracy Ellis Ross from mm, Blackish. I love her. So it's going to have a little twist. I love it. So I'm very excited. But yeah, Beavis and Butthead are coming back to Comedy Central. Not MTV, Comedy Central. That makes sense. For two more seasons. The new com- um, incarnation, it says here, that Beavis and Butthead will enter a whole new Gen Z world with meta themes that are said to be relatable to both new fans and who may be unfamiliar with the original series and then old fans. I will say, I bet that pre- that premise sounds pretty freaking hilarious oh yes i love the movie that they did i mean i still will watch the movie and just roll with tears down my like especially especially the part where they're at the campfire and they're like so stupid they don't realize that they're like talking to their dads that they never met well i'm very excited for you yeah for this revelation yes i'm excited for that so yes that's what i grabbed good crap from um, the entertainment section. Shall we jump into our topic? Yes. Girl, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about issues mothers of color face, correct? Correct. Is that what we're calling it? Okay. Yes. And if I may, I do want to make a couple of disclaimers up at the top. Absolutely. Yes. We are very well aware that we are touching on a very serious topic about women of color. Especially now. As white women. Yes. And we are simply sharing this information as allies. Yes. Like we want to be a voice for people who are, do not have the privileges that we've been given in life just because of the color of our skin. Yes. And we also understand that we have our own biases and white privilege that we still need to work on and work through. There are things that we do and say that we don't even realize that we do and say, yes. which needs to be worked on. So we are simply trying to start a conversation about the additional obstacles that mothers of color, mothers of color have to overcome that most white mothers don't really have to worry about or, or certain or never, classes or even yeah, and haven't ever really experienced. Exactly. And so this is not us to be like, oh, look at these people. No, it's meant to be, look at this group of people and how can we do something to change this? Yeah, we're not jumping on the social justice bandwagon just for the heck of it. We're, yeah. we, me and Sarah had a deep text conversation about how we were going to approach this and i even said i'm very nervous only because i know my whiteness 
And I don't want it to come out as I'm being preachy. Yeah. Or like, look at me, I'm the good white woman teaching you about the bad stuff that's happening to other people. No. And that's not where I'm coming from either. This is, our research on this is educating us probably more than it's educating the people that are listening to this. This, this, what, the subject area I focused on opened my eyes significantly. Mm -hmm. And even some of the quotes I read, I was like, people say that? Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just innocent, and I, I'm I'm also, I've told, I'm not going to overshare, but I've told Sarah that I have, in my own circle of family and friends, seen it and heard it, mm-hmm. the comments, the gestures, the thoughts. So I'm not innocent to that. As I also told Sarah, there was a certain point in my life where I was like, I'm not going to be that way. Mm-hmm. They can be that way. Which I know now that I can't say that anymore. I'm, I have to try to open my mouth and say I don't want to listen to that or hush mm-hmm. or you not know you don't know what you're talking about, right? And like instead of just saying, "Well, I'm not going to acknowledge that behavior is good enough," it's not. That's where I'm coming from with this, and that's. Yes, I second all of that 100%. I, too, need to be better about actually not just not participating in blatant racism, but also standing up against it. Like, I need to be doing much more. I'm also reading a book right now that is amazing. It's called White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. I've actually seen a lot on Instagram. I don't follow a lot of celebrities, but I do follow a few And a couple of them have posted that they've been reading that book. It's a fascinating book, especially if you are a white person who thinks that you are not racist. Which, if I'm honest, I think of myself as a not racist person. I know intellectually that I have biases and racist tendencies that I'm not even fully aware of. Mm -hmm. Just because I've become so blind to them because of how just our culture is built but it's a great way to kind of say to help you step back and very humbly reflect and see okay i realize that i've been living in a system of privilege that looks like this and as a result of it i act this way i think these things and i say these things and it i haven't got to the part yet where it tells you to start how to start flipping some of those things but it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating i strongly recommend it yeah and I want to say that I started becoming aware of certain things years ago in college because I I remember in sociology class, the teacher touched on how racism really truly is something that happens in the United States mm-hmm. because it race, the term of race originated here mm. in a way of the like the Jim Crow laws and stuff, the U.S started the whole you must identify your race because before then there wasn't you know there was no term there was no term for it and then i I took a women in history class it was Mm -hmm. focusing more of like when what women have gone through throughout history yeah and we went through a part a very dark period that happened in the southeast up until, like, the late 70s in North Carolina of mm-hmm. sterilization, mm-hmm. where women were sterilized and men, black men, were sterilized primarily because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. They thought either they wouldn't be able to afford to take care of children or they would think, oh, you've had enough kind Are of thing. Are you kidding me? So there was one story I read. A woman went in with an appendicitis Mm -hmm. to have an appendectomy. And while they were in there, because of this law, the doctor did not even need her to sign off on it. They tied her tubes. And she was not able to, she never had a child. But they said, because of her socioeconomic situation, she wouldn't be a good good fit for a mother. And because the doctor determined that, the white doctor... She was never able to have kids. I can't even imagine. And as a podcast that is for mothers, loves mothers, wants to support mothers and make life better for mothers everywhere, we figured 
this would be a really important topic for us to talk about. So let's dive in. Yes. So I focus my research just on general background. What are the obstacles that mothers of color face in day-to-day life that maybe white mothers don't have to deal with as much or probably in many cases never have to deal with? So here we go. For many mothers of color, the ability to have and provide for a family is severely limited by three things, poverty, the need to work, and incarceration. Mm. So mothers of color, again, because of the widespread just system and society they are in, not because of fault of their own, mothers of color are more likely to be low income. And according to a CAP report from 2012, 13.3% of Black women and 11.4% of Hispanic women were unemployed compared to just 7.2% of white women. So, almost twice as many. Yeah, that's a pretty big gap. Women of color earn a significantly lower wage than their white counterparts, and women in general still still, earn a lower wage, but it's even more so pronounced uh, for women of color. So, the median income for white women... Um, at that time, was around seven hundred and three dollars. What was this at? What year? Uh, Two thousand twelve. Okay. So it's been it's been a little bit. Okay. Sorry, I was just the, trying to. Place not it. much has changed. Okay. So right around seven hundred dollars for white women, five hundred and ninety five dollars for black women. So just over a hundred dollars. Is this biweekly or monthly? I'm not sure. It just okay. said uh, medium income. Oh, okay. Seven hundred for white women, five ninety five for black women, and five hundred eighteen for Hispanic women. Yeah, so you multiply that out time, whether that's a weekly salary, salary or a biweekly, Dang. over a year. That's a huge difference. Yes, that that's more than a gap. Yeah, limited financial means has resulted in twenty five percent of Hispanic women and twenty percent of Black women worrying about providing food for their families. So See, that breaks my heart. Um, households led by single mothers are, in general, no matter what race you are, are more likely to be below the poverty line. Yeah. Since men historically out-earn women in the U.S., single fathers usually don't face the same level of financial difficulty that single mothers do. Because okay. it kind of brought up that argument of, you know, what about, is it just single parents in general? No. Single mothers have a much more difficult time. Okay. Um, This problem gets worse when we zoom in on women of color who have a much greater list of discriminatory obstacles to overcome. And this is a critical point of discussion since women make up 89% of single parent households with young children. Holy crap. I didn't realize that's how many single parent households are. Because, I mean, think about it. If... As modern as we proclaim to be, a lot of times the child care does end up with the mother primarily. Oh, no, it, it does, but I'm yeah. just, I didn't realize it was that yeah. large. Whew. As of 2015, the National Women's Law Center reported the following statistics about single mother families. So, sorry, there's there were a bunch of statistics in my, in my segment, but, like, as I kept looking at them, I'm like, this, this is insane, this is insane. Um, so about single mother, single mother families, 48% of Native Americans, 42% of Hispanics, and 40% of black families lived in poverty. Seriously? In 2015? Yeah. In 2015. Just five years ago. Yeah, the percentage of single mother families from each of those, each of those groups. The one that really struck me, which, again, white ignorance, is half of Native American single mothers that crushed me that's another social injustice that we need to fix big time yeah and 24 to 31 percent of white and asian single mother families experience poverty which that's that's still not a nothing number that's still not good but it is significantly lower yes it is than those other categories yeah mothers of color are more likely to be the breadwinners of their families which i found interesting that is interesting um, African-American families are especially hard hit by the rising cost of child care and limited options for working families. You know, I, I, I totally get the child care. Think about it. If you tend to be the breadwinner of your, the primary breadwinner of your family, and you have a higher percentage of single mother households in your community, then 
guess yeah. what? You it's, gotta have child care. You gotta have child care, and you only have one income to pay for it. Yes. So, as of 2016, three out of four African-American children had all residential parents in the workforce, compared to only 63% for non-African-American children. So, 75% versus 63%. Um, so, access to affordable, quality, early child care is limited to many families in general. The average annual cost of center-based child care for an infant and a four-year-old is nearly $18,000. Say that again. So, say you you send an infant and a four-year-old from the same family... Yeah, that's mine. ...to a center-based child care facility. Oh, yeah, any so of, that's any, what like, I'm getting. Okay. Any of the ones around here. The average cost of that is $18,000. Yes. Yes, that's about right. And yeah. this amounts to 42% of the median income for a typical African-American family. And this is more than many students spend each year on college tuition. Yeah. I have a very shocked face right now. I'd say it, you kind of feel your sphincter tightening up when you start to crunch those numbers. Because, like, I, I can safely say that, I mean, daycare costs a lot for us, but it's not 42% of my income. Because mm-hmm. then I would be like, we're going to find something else. Yeah. But when you don't have any other options... And women of color are less likely than white women to benefit from f- flexible work arrangements or access to affordable or ac- accessible child care. Probably, I mean, I don't mean it by this way, but because you're touching on it, because they have the certain fields of jobs that they have, it, there's probably not much it's, flexibility. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you are more likely to start off in life with fewer financial advantages, which means you get fewer opportunities, which means you get are less likely to be able to advance yourself into a career that mm-hmm. would pay more and allow mm-hmm. you to afford these things. And because you can't afford child care, it impacts when and how you're able to work. Right. It okay. all feeds back into itself. And I don't think I put this in here, but something that I thought was prof- really profound, and this is for anyone who's considering um, stepping back from their career for a while to stay at home with the kids in order to save money, which yeah. I'm sure right now with the economy, a lot of people are having to ask these kinds of questions. Yeah. While you might save money in the immediate future for childcare, the years that the mother or the father or whoever is staying at home, that you're not in the workforce, that's not just immediate income you're losing. You're losing years of your 401k being built up, you're losing years of additional benefits that you might be able to make use of. So long in terms of long-term wealth, you're costing yourself far more than just the salary yeah. for however long you're out. Uh, but, 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 let's see. Um, continuing with childcare, ongoing cuts to programs like Head Start and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or food stamps. Um, have a disproportionate effect on mothers of color and can significantly impact their ability to provide food and quality care for their children. Cuts to Head Start also make it difficult for mothers of color to balance work and child care, causing further setbacks in their careers and future earning potential. So don't cut those programs or cut funding. Well, I don't think you need to cut funding. Like, I, okay, so I have, I get sick of people talking about food stamps. Like, they're feeding their kids. Shut up. There was a time where I was so broke that I almost applied for them. Yeah. To it's, feed my kid. It's, so. It strikes me, because I hear so many people talk about, and again, this is the, the white privilege thing. I hear so many people talking about food stamps, like they assume that everybody is just abusing the system. That nobody really needs them, but they just choose not to get a job or not to make enough money so that they can just you know, live off the government or whatever. Yeah, I've heard people say that, too. It it strikes me as the same way that certain people always think that the woman is lying when she reports rape or assault. That's a good point. Where it's a very tiny number, and yet that's the assumption that we tend to make, and we make wide-sweeping policy decisions based on those incorrect assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um. Another thing, again, because of the society we live in, people of color in general are more likely to be incarcerated. 
and incarcerated mothers of color face very restrictive barriers to parenting. Even though the overall crime rate is declining in the U.S. as of 2012, um, more and more women are being incarcerated every year. Do, do they have the reasons why? Not specifically in this article, but yeah, there, there's a whole, that's a whole other I mean, social I- thing to dig into. And not surprisingly, women of color are far more likely to be imprisoned than white women. And according to the Sentencing Project, in 2005, Hispanic women were 69% more likely than white women to be put in jail. And black women were three times more likely. Yeah. I tried to translate both of those two percentages, but my brain started hurting. But yeah, either way. It's bad. Huh. Um, when mothers enter the prison system, their children either stay with immediate family if they have them, or they go into foster care. Mm-hmm. So if you are already in a low-income household and or a single-parent household, that greatly impacts your ability to provide an alternate living arrangement for your children. So yeah. they're more likely to go into foster care. For mothers who are sentenced to 22 months or longer, they are highly likely to lose their parental rights as many states end parental rights when a child has been living under foster care for 15 of the last 22 consecutive months. Seriously? I didn't know that that was the law in most states. Even when incarcerated mothers do not lose their children, they face many barriers in maintaining relationships with them. The majority of parents are incarcerated over 100 miles away from home, Mm -hmm. and one in three moms report never speaking to their kids the entire time they were incarcerated. I'm speechless right now because the thought, I mean, I know I joke about how I want to take a break from my kids, but the thought that one, I'm locked up and I can't touch my kids. I can't hold them. I can't speak to them. I can't hear their voice. That just, I ache. And this is my last point, but this segues into what you're going to be talking about with healthcare. Yeah. The process for giving birth while you're incarcerated is absolutely barbaric and inhumane women are literally shackled by their wrists and ankles to the hospital bed during the labor process despite the health risk and the constitutional concerns that come up around this when you're in labor you're in so much friggin' pain like you're not gonna and you're swelling and you're trying desperately to get in a comfortable position yeah. Like, so they're shackled, like, flat on their back because sometimes you need to move and you need to... Like, you... I think they're still in a hospital bed, so they could still, like, sit up to a certain degree and move around a little bit that way. Like, they're not strapped completely flat, but still, I can't imagine... But, I mean, you still need to be able to, like, sometimes the nurses, like, roll on your side because, like, the, like, as you move, yeah. like, that can help with dilation. Or being able to walk around to help the baby drop or mentally you're in this you are probably in the most fight or flight situation that you could ever be in yeah it's absolutely insane to me it's very traumatic i mean giving birth is even when it's a cesarean section it is like one of the most traumatic things i mean it's great at the end when you're in the safest environment possible it's still traumatic yes i cry like every every time i was on the surgical table at the end of it i like cried yeah because it was kind of like i was so nervous about them being born and then once they were born it was like you let the release out Mm -hmm. and i can't imagine being handcuffed like that and then also knowing that your baby's going to get taken away because you can't yeah they can't keep them i was just gonna say i they didn't say what the the timetable was but it's something like a ridiculously short amount of time that you actually get to be with your baby and nurse your baby (laughs) So that's my research. What do you have for us from the healthcare side of things? So, <clears throat> excuse me, when when you mentioned this, Sarah, the first thing that popped into my head was back when I was on maternity leave, I get a parents magazine. Mm-hmm. And an article came through and it was saying how black mothers and babies have the worst birth outcome. Yes. And I was like, what? In the U.S. or in the, another country? And again, my own ignorance. And so I wanted to read it and I read it and I was like, God, that makes me so angry. They still had it online. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to read that. Now, this article focuses primarily on African-American women 
because they do have the worst health outcomes and they do have the, I mean, studies have shown they have the um, largest discrimination against it as far mm-hmm. as in abstract, you know, giving Greatest birth. levels of discrimination. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I will say that the article switches back between the two terms black and African-American women. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to be like PC or otherwise. I'm just reading how it was written because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like going back through and like renaming everything. So with this, the title, like I said, black mothers and babies have the worst birth outcome. The beginning of this talks primarily with statistics. It has two interviews with a Dr. Lauren Riley, who is director of labor and delivery at Matt at Massachusetts, Massachusetts uh, general hospital. And then Paula, a uh, Dr. Paula Braveman, and she is a professor of family and community medicine and the director of the Center on Social Disparities in Health at the University of California in San Francisco. So in the U.S., 23,000 infants die before their first birthday, and black babies are more than twice as likely to die as white babies in this statistic. The number of African-American women who died due to pregnancy-related causes has increased. Mm-hmm. It did not give an, a, like a date range, but it says it has increased. The U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate of all industrialized countries in the world. And the rate for black women, 43.5 deaths per 100,000 births. Mm-hmm. White women, it's only 12.7 deaths. <sighs> And 14.4 deaths for women of other races. Mm -hmm. And this is um, from the CDC. Most nurses and doctors agree that this disparity is not just resolved medically, that Mm -hmm. this is also like a huge societal shift that needs to be done. Yes. One, to empower black women before they get pregnant to like take care of their health and like Mm -hmm. show that we care for their health. And then also protect them before and after giving birth. Yeah. And give them affordable access to health care, too. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with letting them have an ultrasound. Exactly. And, it again, because of all the forces that be, African Americans are far more likely to have undiagnosed pre-existing conditions. Yes. Which then exacerbates anything like a pregnancy or any other kind of situation that comes up. Yes, and I will actually get into how even environmental and societal issues Mm -hmm. can play into someone's physiological situation. I can't Mm. talk. The sangria is getting to me. It is good. Public health experts admit that they don't have any idea why there's a large mortality rate for black women and their babies over than others, which is scary, that they just have no idea. Yeah. I can think of a few things. Well, they for them can, to look but into. I'm just saying that they haven't looked at it. But this says, and then here's this note they made: even affluent and educated Black women, which I didn't like how that was written, because I'm like, yeah. does it matter? Like even. Hmm. Side note: I came across a story about Serena Williams mm. facing some of these issues while she was giving birth. Um, but they're saying are more likely to lose their newborn than uneducated white women who have ha- who have had little to no prenatal care. So again, they're not sure. Wow. So it's not just an economic thing; it is definitely a race thing. It has to be. Um, black women suffer the highest infant and maternity maternal mater- mortality. Ooh, say that three times fast. Rates across the board, according to the CDC. Um, Dr. Riley was quoted saying, researchers have had to broaden their scope in searching for answers. And then a a growing number of experts are reaching a far more complex conclusion that is chained to our country's complicated history with racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going there, people. I'm sorry for anybody that's out there that's like, I don't want to listen to this. I'm sorry. I I had to. shit. It's reality. I read this while I was on maternity leave, and it really just, it, it stuck with me. And then Dr. Braveman says, it is absolutely plausible scientifically that the chronic stress of being treated unfairly or viewed unjustly because of one's race or even just worrying that 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 might occur could cause physiological changes in a woman's body that that can in turn put her infant at a disadvantage. 
So research has shown that ongoing stress can lead to inflammation throughout the body and is likely to weaken one's immune system in a way that can potentially affect offspring. Doctors refer to this overall effect as, I'm going to make sure I say it right, allostatic load. Okay. Allostatic load. Allostatic load, which causes a breakdown of the body's health-preserving mechanisms. In fact, in one study by the Journal of the National Medical Association found that black men and women have higher allostatic load sources, scores, excuse me, scores than whites, which has led to an increase in premature death from chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Because basically it's your body is releasing way more stress hormones and adrenaline and that fight or flight response yes. is activated it's more a lot of the time. It's a lot of cortisone and other stuff that causes the inflammation in your system. And yeah. You just, it's and, attacking itself. Yeah. And I've, I've seen numerous studies not even looking at race that, that have basically said stress can kill you. And if you're in an environment or in a society where you are constantly stressed because you fear for your well-being... Yeah. Yeah. It's going to harm you. Yeah. Excuse me. Now this moves into how racism plays a role in this. Mm -hmm. So being on the receiving end of racism can have a powerful impact. Black men have the lowest life expectancy of any race or ethnicity in the United States. And while white women have the highest rate of getting cancer, black women are far more likely to die from cancer than any other group. And that made me cry because my mom... You know, she yeah. has cancer and stuff, and I just can't imagine a woman, my counterpart, mm-hmm. with her mother, and she may not have the same outcome that I have. Ooh, so that just that just tugged me right there. The ever-present stress caused by racial bias and its legacy of discrimination over generations is becoming the most likely offender for these disparities. Mostly women-led organizations across the nation have been fighting for better birth outcomes for African-American women. And while our country continues to struggle with this racism, experts agree that optimizing a woman's health before, during, and after pregnancy is crucial for good birth outcomes. Mm -hmm. And to that I say, duh. Yes. And then these groups are focused on what they can do now, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important than the ones that are like, we're going to make the future great and bright, which is good and all, but what about now? Exactly. So so there is this one. So they talk about this one group called Sister Song, Women of Color Reproductive Justice Justice Collective. It's run by Monica Simpson. Um, She helped form the Black Mamas Matter Alliance in Atlanta in 2015. The alliance draws a mix of political, social, and health experts to highlight the plight of Black women's reproductive health in the South. And then she said, racism has many legs and tentacles that are both wide-reaching and Mm deep-piercing. Unfortunately, pregnant women, pregnant Black women, excuse me, are not immune. Right. And so now we're going to go into the examples of, like, really horrible stories. So here's one. Um, so her name is Monique. She's 38, a married mother of three. She is a health educator at, for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. And when she learned that she was pregnant with her first child, she went to the doctor's office because she was complaining about stomach pains. Mm-hmm. And she says, during a routine blood workup, the nurse gave me a pregnancy test and came back and said, oh, I'm sorry, you're pregnant. Wow. Yeah. And then she said, but I was thrilled by the news and said, my husband will be so happy. The nurse's response was incredulous. Oh, you're married? Oh, fuck you. Yeah. And she says the outcome of this discussion set a negative tone for every prenatal visit from then on. She said she felt immense pressure to quickly establish herself with everyone on staff, making sure they knew she was indeed a college-educated married woman. Yeah. No matter what degree, no matter what job, no matter what good uh, we do in this world, it always comes down to, oh, you're still having one of those babies. And that's that's a quote from her. Like, when I read that, I went, she, she said, what? Oh, you're married? Like, who cares if she is or she isn't? Exactly. And... But I wouldn't assume. I don't even know where to start. But again, I'm trying to not 
at like I'm up on a high horse or anything like that. I I've know. Got I know. But my own shit that I got to work out. But I just hate that she went through that. That anyone should have to go through that. Because there are single single white mothers that come in, but that's probably not their the first reaction for them. Do they get the oh are you married? Ugh, I hate everything. Yeah. So she had already started working with the Black Infant Health Program, and that's dedicated to improving African American infant and maternal health in California. Um, mm-hmm. After her daughter, her first daughter Nala, which I love that name, mm-hmm. was born. She was able to benefit from their encouragement and support firsthand, and would again through her next two pregnancies. So good thing that she knew of this this lifeline to yeah. go to, but not everybody does. So one thing that the article goes into is saying that these are called microaggressions. Like yeah. so, what that nurse said, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're pregnant," and "Oh, you're married." It's microaggressions, and they are ubiquitous among women who are of color. Yeah. Um, The center focuses on building women up by connecting them with services, developing stress-reducing strategies, and offer self-affirming group sessions. And they celebrate Black women, even if the outside outside world doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And this breaks my heart by the program's director. Black women bear a unique burden, we place an emphasis on mindfulness, empowerment, resilience, and self-love. There's another program out there. It's called Soul of a Sister that helps girls between the ages of 12 and 24 establish a healthy lifestyle habit. Mm-hmm. And, like, have frank discussions about sex and taking care of their bodies. And um, the director, Chanel uh, Portia Albert uh, when it comes to birthing and reproductive health, we as a community don't talk don't talk openly about it. Which honestly, even with white people, we don't talk about it. So I think this is good in general. Yeah, but, everyone talk about this stuff. It's important. Um, typically, young women of color don't have a place where they feel comfortable enough to be able to ask like those questions without people mm-hmm. being judgmental. There is the Nurse Family Partnership, and that pairs low-income women who are pregnant with their first child with a free nurse who supports them during their pregnancy until their child's second birthday. The nurse visits about every other week and help mothers have a healthy pregnancy and successful transition to motherhood. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is a woman from North Carolina, from Lumberton, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. actually got that. So she said, I was just hoping to get someone who I could talk to and who wouldn't judge me. What she got was so much more. Her nurse helped her overcome massive swelling in her limbs during pregnancy. Girl, I feel you. Mm -hmm. After a series of of visits determined that the former high school basketball player was drinking only sodium-heavy sports drinks for hydration. Mm -hmm. And then after her baby was born, she suffered from postpartum depression, feeling isolated and helpless about how to care for herself and her infant son. She says, her nurse was always there for me, like my own personal psychologist. Anything that I needed, physically or mentally, she was just a phone call away. And then I also have two um, additional articles that I'll put up in our show notes. So that's mine. It's it's a bummer, but also kind of like... Lights a fire under your butt. It does for me. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of the note that I at least want to leave us on is don't just stop at being angry or frustrated about this reality. Like, let's all try to take steps to do something about it. Educate yourself, contact your um, your local government, state government, health, federal even. Try to find ways to tangibly make a difference. Volunteer for some of these awesome organizations that Pamela just mentioned. Yeah, there's a few more that's in the article that I'll, I'll try to remember to link them. And bottom line, go vote. Voting makes a huge difference in how programs... Get that, funded. Yeah, get funded and really have a lifelong impact on communities of color. And can I also say not not just the national voting. Yes. Your local vote is actually, I feel, is more important. Yes. Because your local representatives are voting and choosing for you. Plus, who do you think is eventually going to move up through the ranks and get to the federal level? 
True. That's where they start. Mm-hmm. You ever see any pe- people at, like, the, the running for president <laughs> level or the country level, and you're like, how the hell did they manage to make it this far? <laughs> <laughs> it's the origin story of the Riddler. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for waiting through this heavy topic with us. Yes. Um, we love you. Please stay safe out there. Please wear a mask. Wear a mask. Yes. And we'll talk to y'all later. I'm Sarah Duncan. And I'm Pamela Walker-Dees. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is by Yov Aliagon. Be sure to check out the Motherhood on Tap page on Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It really helps to get the word out about the show. You can subscribe and follow Motherhood on Tap on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most other podcast apps. If you have questions or funny stories, you can email us at motherhoodontap at gmail.com. Partner with us on Patreon.com for special bonus episodes and help keep this podcast and the two of us in business. Till next time! time. 